0: 702.
1: 702 for the curious on 92.7 and 106 FM. Good evening, Sam. It's been way too long since we've chatted, isn't it? <laughs> it hasn't been a very long time.
0: Good
1: evening to you. Lovely, lovely hearing from you, of course. Sam, I mean, let, let's start, uh, kick things off. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when, when looking at the book cover, uh, when, when obviously looking at the subject matter of the book, mm-hmm. it is about Parktown Boys, um, but it's not about Enoch Mpianzi, is it not so?
0: No, it's not. He does feature in the book, but as part of a longer narrative. Um, mm. And the reason he, he did feature in the book is because some of the boys who did come forward came forward only after he had died because they felt that they, that was the right time for them to come forward.
1: Hmm. But I mean, it it goes back to another situation that thrust mm-hmm. Parktown Boys into the headlines, and there was obviously uh, this water polo coach, Colin Rex, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. was his name. Uh, subsequently, uh, you know, charges were brought against him, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember Seven O Two in particular covering that story. And I mean, it was just one of those really shocking stories where you're sitting in your car listening to, you know, the breakfast show and, uh, you know, you, it makes your skin crawl because here was this water polo coach caught mm. molesting boys, literally in, in the TV room. And, and the sad thing is it wasn't the first time. It wasn't the last time. Mm. it had been going on for quite some time. But the issue is even the survivors, the victims themselves remain silent under those circumstances.
0: You know, I think what's very fascinating is when I first started writing the book, it was going to be a book about those boys and how they had been let down by the system over and over again, including this monstrous creature, Colin Ricks. And I went in looking for heroes and the monster. And at the end of the book, I just had victims. Uh, What happened with Colin Ricks on the face of it was so, so um, it was an airtight, horrible black and white situation. Boys... Uh, were molested over a period of months, some of them years, by this water polo coach, uh, both I- you know in front of cameras and and, and, and in the still of the night, in the dark of the night. Uh, rooms that were locked were unlocked, etc. And when he went to jail, I mean, at that stage, he was sentenced to 23 years in prison. He had just, just two and 23. So he went to prison. He was sentenced to, uh, I think he got 150 years, and he was sentenced to an effective 23. So he was going to go to jail for his life again. And off he went, and mm. it was almost like nothing had ever happened. You know, uh, the school said, "Well, we've you know we know about it, and we've extended this courtesy and that courtesy." Um, there was a, a, a report which, um, you know, no one's ever seen. The executive summary was read out, and the housing department has has a copy of that. And it also in that report. Uh, named other educators, not as uh, for sexual molestation, but because Colin was very adamant in court this had been done to him. And there is a history of this throughout that school, as there is through many monastic schools um, in, mm. in uh, South Africa.
1: I mean and what I find fascinating about this is that you know it's a conversation that we've been having for quite some time and I think you know not to pick on Parktown Boys I think that there's many other schools that we can have similar conversations with but Parktown Boys has obviously been uh, at the forefront it's been thrust in the limelight because of all the media attention that it has received uh, quite recently around some of these things that have happened there but What is very disturbing for me about it is how this then becomes a culture that is deeply rooted within the school. I mean, going back to the Enoch Mpianzi uh, incident, how prefects, for example, have been reported as having taken the lead, teachers sort of uh, excusing themselves and and leaving boys in the care of other boys. And as you had mentioned, also the sad thing that Colin Rex comes back and tells us that, you know, the stuff that I did, happened to me. I mean, that only happens within an environment where people keep quiet and they enable that type of, 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 of abuse.
0: Well, and here's the thing. So what happens is, it, it seems so simple on the, on the face of it. But what happens is, every year that envelope gets pushed a little bit more. So maybe this year it's only 80 push-ups. You know, yeah. maybe the year before it was 70. And yes, what was interesting is most of the boys I spoke to still love their school. They mm, love that mm,
2: school.
0: Mm. Um, they, 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 one of the boys um, who features quite strongly, he, he was very, very free with his, um, very generous and free with his time and with the details of what had happened to him. And he said Park Town stands for everything, good. it just goes about it in the wrong way. And I think what's happened um, is it's not that the traditions are wrong. It's that the traditions have been overtaken by some very bad and insidious habits because it is not a tradition to try and force somebody into oral sex when they are 12 and you are 18. It is not a, a, a tradition to hit somebody between the legs with a potato and a sock until they pass out with the pain. Ugh. That's not tradition. That's just, that's gross cruelty. That's not following orders. And it's the same kind of argument that you hear, oh, well, I was, uh, but, you know, I was just following orders. No, those are gross, gross human rights abuses. And I so, think so, so, can we just what? pause
1: there for two secs? Because I want to get back to some of those details without giving away too many spoilers, if you don't mind, because sure. I, I I think that we need to have a serious conversation about some of these acts, and i'll I'll just quickly go back to some and and sort of liken it to some of my history when mm-hmm. you know, in in comparison. i mean, i I didn't go to a school where hazing or initiation or whatever people call it was to that extent, I I mean, we didn't have any initiation whatsoever. I didn't go to a fancy enough school, I guess, for that type of thing to happen. But when I got to first year university, we had a culture and a tradition of initiation. And some of it, you know, in retrospect, if I think about it, was pretty harsh, but nothing to the extent of what you have described thus far. But, you know, all of us, I think any guy that's from Men's Res at Wits University, um, going back to, say, 2001, would turn around and tell you that it was character forming you know it it bonded us going through that hard time uh, was good for us etc etc how do we balance that type of thinking versus now understanding that hazing uh, initiation and the culture of silence that it breeds can be very bad for society because it's something that i'm struggling to sort of uh battle as you said parktown boy stands for everything good but bad things happen. The, the, you know, the, the two just don't align in my brain at this stage.
0: So here's the true tragedy of what happened um, on the Enoch and Pianzi um, camp. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, the camp on which Enoch Mpianzi died. The Matrix that year, this would have been the first camp, which was not an initiation camp. While that, was, that tragedy was happening in the river, the Matrix was with Luke Lamprecht, and um, they were sitting, working out what they were going to take from their grade 8 camp that was good, And what they were going to discard that was bad, and they were going to only take what was good, and the hashtag for that camp was, this stops with me. Wow. This stops with me. And so they were bringing through the tradition and the pride in the school and the brotherhood Mm. without the violence and the cruelty and, and, and the bloodshed. And that was the true tragedy of what happened there, over and above the obvious, which is, you know, I mean, a young boy's life, not, losing that, nothing can compare to that. But the true tragedy for the boys who were already there was this was going to be the opportunity. And it is possible. It is possible. We already saw some some form of movement there because the teachers, when they had the, um, excuse me, was the Harris-Newton report was, 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 um, was uh, released, sure. we saw how the teachers and the kids had the same stories as to what had happened on that day. No, it, w- it wasn't one set of lies or you know, it, people, people were all agreeing with the truth of what had happened. And that shows that there has been great progress made. And as you say, this is not one school. Mm. And I think the important thing is to then is to turn around and say, what do we want to take forward? What is important? But the problem is that when something goes wrong, mm. the, the intention it might be to sort it out, but it generally ends up being to cover it up. We'll sort this out. We'll do it in our own way, behind closed doors. We'll sort it out. It's our way. It's the Parktown way. And it's not just Parktown, by the way. I've, I've had other people from other schools ask me when they do, I'm doing their school. I Well, it's not, this it isn't a series. <laughs> but, um, but what I find, what, what I have found interesting is, and it's an analogy I've used before, if we treat, School like a biscuit factory. If you look at a biscuit factory, you make biscuits. And so there's a recipe and there's ingredients and it goes through the machine and at the end you get a box of biscuits. And those are great biscuits and everyone loves the biscuits. Now, what happens if something goes wrong? Mm What happens if there's a screw loose or a bolt falls, you know, comes away or whatever it is, and the biscuits start coming out a bit misshapen? Now, in Biscuit factory, they closed down that part of the machinery, they would fix it all up, they'd probably run a series of ingredients through just to see what happened, and you'd carry on, yeah? yeah? But in a school, what's happened is people start focusing on the fact that maybe you don't like biscuits. You know, when you point out the fact that some of the biscuits aren't coming out right, it's because you mm-hmm. hate the biscuits. Mm-hmm. You hate the biscuits, actually. And that's not it. I mean, I had quite a lot of, of, of trolling today on Twitter for some reason. People saying you've ruined this for the children and you just want the school shut down. I don't want the school shut down. Not that it has anything to do with me because that would be very presumptuous. I just want them to fix the system.
1: And it's needed. I mean, it's it's something that can't persist on an ongoing basis. So that's a conversation that, or that's a part of the conversation. I'll park for a little later on because Sam, I'm actually quite intrigued by how then you gathered your information because this is the type of thing that is not quite easy. I mean, it's not you know as if I mean based on what we're discussing, it's not as if you just trolled through a series of online newspaper articles and newspaper articles to sort of determine what is happening at Parktown Boys. Clearly, you had to speak to uh, people, most likely people under uh, anonymous um, circumstances. Uh, You spoke to numerous other people that gave you information about what's happening. How difficult was it being able to break through that wall of silence and getting someone to sit down and to say, listen, this is actually what was going on at the school. This is what I went through and this is how I feel about it.
0: Well, the way I went about it was very different. So this book, um, if you read it's not an investigation, it's a narrative. Mm. So what I said to everybody is, you will put your story across the way you want it put across in your words. Mm. So, everybody was an interview and I gave everyone um, my promise that I wouldn't print what they didn't like. So sometimes people would give me quite a lot of information. And then when they read it back, they'd say, oh, no, rather take that out and rather take that out because they'd be shy. And then I would take those things out because it's not necessary for anybody to be, you know, there's no need for more trauma. They've already had secondary trauma. We don't need there to be any more. And from that, people grew to trust me because they knew that it wasn't going to be their words that were twisted. Their words were going to be what went into the book. And that, I think, is what made it possible for, you know, one mom would sit and chat to me and realize what it was I was doing. And then she would pave the way with another mom. And the same with the boys. Um, I mean, I know two of the boys who came forward at, at the very end. It was because their moms had said, speak to your friends, you've talked to Sam. And when they did, they were saying, I, I, want, I, want, I want to speak up to you. I and mean, one boy came to me four days before the book was due to go to print. I mean, go to a uh, final edit. And he tore my hair out because I thought, how am I going to do this justice? Mm, mm. But how do I turn anyone away? You know, how do I say, sorry, you did make the cut. And it was, I mean, he was an extraordinary young man. And I think there was a trust there. I, I, I really, it was incredibly important to me that these boys felt cared for. And they felt that there was compassion and that I would be true to them. And that went for everyone. That included the teachers, that included the mates, and that included um, Colin Weeks himself.
1: I mean, what was it like talking to him? I mean, uh, you know, here he is. It's someone that has been accused of, of, of molestation. He's been through a trial, as you mentioned, uh, sentenced, uh, you know, to spend time in prison for what he had done, his deeds against children. What is it like sitting across from someone like that and having to talk to him and, and, you know, hear some of the details?
0: So it was interesting because I sat with his girlfriend for several hours beforehand. Mm. Um, And I said to her, listen, meet me. If you don't trust me or you think that I'm not the right person, I'll understand. Um, Because I I wanted Colin to know that, you know, he could also trust me to tell the story to tell the truth and i i make it clear in the book and i made it clear to him several times but i think he needs to be in prison but um that's he's where he needs to be mm. but when we sat down together i mean he is very polite very personable um very uh, lots of man <laughs> um and and sitting with him i couldn't see a monster because by then i already knew that it had all been done to him in the same way, at the same school. Yeah. So I'm talking. I, I sat there talking to a grown-up boy, and that's why all the boys. Ch- all the chapters in the book start with the boy, the boy who was an empty stomach, the boy, with the marks on his back, and Colin is the boy who went to prison. Because when all this started, he was only twenty, uh, when he went back to the school, and talking to him, he had no concept of the enormity of the fallout of what he had done. So, for example, when I said to him, you know, have you ever said sorry to the boys? And he said, well, I wanted to in court, but I wasn't allowed to contact anybody. Mm. And he said, how could I? And I said, well, did you consider, like, maybe saying in court how sorry you were? And he said, I wrote a letter, but then my attorney said I mustn't read it because it would make me look more guilty. And I said, well, have you ever thought about, you know, trying to get someone on the phone or or write to them? And he said to me, he asked particularly about two boys several times. Mm. And... And he said to me, have you spoken to Tyler? That was one of the boys in the book. And I said, I haven't. I said, uh, his mother is very concerned, but it might unhinge him talking to me. Mm-hmm. And he said, but why? And I said, because he's not well. I said, he's suicidal. He is still on medication. He, he doesn't sleep. I said, one boy told me that when he wakes up in the morning, you know, he, he, he can smell you and taste you. And I said, they are not okay. One boy tried to kill himself and then wrote the trick from the psychiatric hospital. And he was so stunned. He put his hands over his mouth and his eyes filled with tears. And he said, but why are they sad? They shouldn't be sad. I'm here now. I'm in prison. They mustn't be sad. They don't need to worry. I'm in prison now. I'm being punished. And I said, but it's not that simple. Mm. And he truly, truly didn't understand the level of the depth of the impact he didn't and in fact one of the t- things that he does say in the book is I said to him you know explain rem- your remorse to me because
2: mm. let me,
0: let me, we all feel it differently we'd all display it differently and he said for him the thing that he feels the worst about is he took away their water polo now before you laugh with derision oh, okay. let me explain that
1: um I, I'm not he, laughing I'm thinking to myself what the heck okay yeah
0: Exactly. No, but everyone does because they say, well, that's what you're worried about. You've got kids who are suicidal, kids who are failing the trick, and you're worried about their water polo. But this is the thing. He loved his water polo, and he'll never play again. So he knows what it's like. And that was how he could understand. That's how he could feel that remorse because he could understand their pain because he felt it himself. And it was like talking to a child, you know, when you've got kids.
1: And, um, you've taken away toys. The most important thing is the toys were taken away. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, so, so Sam, let's go back because for me, it's, Mm -hmm. it's absolutely stunning. Also listening to what you're saying that look, Colin Rex went through this Mm -hmm. and yet there's this deep lack of empathy for lack of a better term. I can't think of an alternative way of putting it because Mm -hmm. he's not. You know, he, he doesn't understand, seem to understand the pain and the suffering that he has caused. Yeah. He he doesn't understand why someone ended up in a psychiatric ward. He doesn't understand why someone um is, is so traumatized to the point whereby he still smells and, and, and sees this guy mm-hmm. um in his sleep. I mean, it's it's absolutely shocking for that to be the case. I mean, does it become so deeply entrenched within the culture that even as a victim um, eventually when you become the aggressor, you, you forget what it is to be um, a, a victim, that you actually forget what it is to be left powerless and to have your power taken away by force to the point of you sexual see, I think, molestation.
0: I think of a number of things. First of all, not all abused people become abusers, but many abusers have been abused. It's sure, sure. an important distinction to make. No, for sure. um, I also think that when you grow up in it and it's so normal, For him to disappear, he left the school, he went off, he was still coaching water polo, he was studying sports management. And when he got back to school, he just slipped straight back into it. You know, there wasn't really that much of a turnaround time. I I think the lack of empathy is terrifying because it shows that it is such an ingrained thing. Mm. And and if you read the book, you'll see some of the boys said what they got out of the grade 8 camp was a firm and certain knowledge that they were going to do exactly the same thing when they got to matric, yeah. for their grade 8. And only as they got older. There's one particular boy in the book called Patrick who says he wouldn't recommend sending his kids to Parktown. He said, grade 11 and 12 is fantastic because you're the head of the school and mm. it's wonderful. He said, and, but his exact words were grade grade 8 and 9. It's a long way, hey. And if you remember being that little, a year is not a year when you are twelve. A year is ten years.
1: You know, uh, it's only uh. when you get
0: to our age where it, it seems to go through it faster in the blink of the eye. And I think the the other tragedy was when you say, you know, was it just so 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 ingrained? At least three of the boys I interviewed said to me. But what they had told their parents, and the reason they hadn't told their parents mm. until their parents found out was they thought this was what school was like. They just thought this was what school was like.
1: Huh. I mean, I, I, How do you
0: go back and tell your mother that? How do you go back and tell your mother that you cried? You know, that you were made to do knuckle push-ups for three hours at a time, mm. that you were told to bleed for your brothers, because these are the parents who sent you to this school. So there's some kind of tacit belief that maybe they buy into this. Maybe they know. And these parents had no idea. One of the moms said to me, she said, You know, I I I put my son in that school because it was a hundred years of tradition and it had such wonderful people mm, to come mm, out mm. of that school and that is still true. She said how do how was I to know that they changed the rules when they chose the gate?
1: Well, and, and the sad thing about it is, I mean, I've, I have a couple of friends that went to Parktown Boys, uh, people who are my age. Uh, I mean, we've never sat down. I think it's one of those conversations that you just don't get around to unless it comes up, uh, you know, directly. Um, and, and I was always of the of the mind once upon a time that if I'd lived closer to Parktown, if I'd been in the area, that I would have sent my boys to, to Parktown Boys. But I mean, now, years later with this type of thing uh, being exposed, and again, not to pick on a particular school, but that makes you worry about a an all-boy environment, an all-girl environment, and what goes on, and what are some of the thoughts that are implanted there. I mean, Sam, this is the type of conversation that we could have for three hours straight, but I mean, <laughs> just as a final thought there, um, mm. you know, if if you could just take us through what you think is ultimately the problem with an environment like that. I mean, apart from... Uh, you know the bloody knuckles from having to do push-ups. Apart from bleeding for mm. for your brothers for whatever reason in in the year 2020, what is what I, stands out for you as being seriously problematic with this type of an environment?
0: So, as strictly as an observer, yeah, because I didn't go to an all boys school. I'm not a boy. I, I don't, I've never had to go through that boys to men thing that, um, that happens. I, I wasn't born to be a protector as men are born. I mean, you see that when, when daddy goes away on holiday and says to, you know, little boys, look after your mummy. Like they could look after her, kind oh, of thing. But oh, they oh. instantly set up as the protector of the house. You are now in charge of looking after mummy. And I think that that's tough. We, we put that, that, um, that on kids very early on. What I think needs to happen is we need to stop looking at what made a man in the 1920s. That you know, the silence, the the we can deal with the pain, because those men were going to war.
2: Hmm.
0: You know, when you go to war, a certain amount of um, automation is necessary. A certain amount of being, you know, you're not allowed to question. You can't. You're on the front lines. But these boys are not on the front lines. They're in school. They're not going to war. They're going to grade 8. And I think what really needs to happen, what I would love to see happening, is for parents and, and teachers to be far more you know, in, in, engaged with each other. I think school governing bodies need to work out what it is that they actually stand for. Do they stand for marketing of the school or do they stand for the meat and drink? The thing is, Parktown is the most beautiful cake. If you go there, you'll see the icing is amazing. Mm. The beautiful red brick and the fields and the history, and it's all there. You need the cake underneath. To be completely perfect in order for that icing to be smooth and a, a, a school governing body needs to do more than ice a cake it needs to make sure that that cake is good and rich and has experience the boys can have experiences that will grow them as boys will grow them as people that don't involve them losing a testicle or ending up with gravel in their knuckles 20 years later or having nightmares about whether or not they can still taste their water polo coaches
1: Anymore. I mean, that for me is, uh, I mean, that there is a description in, in itself, Sam, um, is, is what sends uh, chills down my spine. Where can people get the book? Um, of course. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I think it's well worth anyone's time to, to have a look at this and not to look at it just as parked on boys. But no. to really sit back and think about the environment that we're sending our children into and what we as parents also contribute to.
0: Yeah, and, and, and very, very briefly, because I know you're on time, um, very briefly to so say as parents, how can I be part of this school journey as mm. opposed to off oh, you go on your school journey because we just can't trust that anymore. You can get the book pretty much everywhere. I know it's exclusive books. Um, Oh, bargain Books, Wordsworth, I mean, I've just come back from a book launch in Cape Town, it was everywhere there as well. So um, yeah, and I know they've got it on loot, and I think it's on take a lot as well. But awesome yeah, stuff. please, if you're a parent, if you're an educator, if you went to one of these schools, if you fell in love with a man who won't talk about what happened in school, mm. buy this book.
1: Really. Tell you what, I'm definitely getting myself a copy. And Sam, I'm going to haunt and stalk and do whatever to get your <laughs> signature, of course, but uh, thank you oh, so much. We'll make